So what has he done in your life this day, this week that you say, God is good? What? God is good because, is it just words in a song? Just a really good beat? Wow, God's good. Or is he good? Why is he good? What did he do in your life this week that reminds you he's good? How about a wedding anniversary? How many years? 17. To be married to that guy, God is good. Amen. God's good. Marriage. What else has he done? Miss D. Amen. Grandson graduated and, and serving God and loving God that way. Amen. What else? Amen. A tumultuous kind of life and all those things that are happening with the son we've been praying for. And he says, hey, mom and dad, can I come visit you and spend some time with you? You know what that means? God's good. Yeah. yeah. He ate a lot. God's good. He gives us the provisions to feed him. Amen. Yeah. Why is God good in your life? Is it just words? He was good to us when he met with us at uh, Margie's funeral. He was good to us when went to the went to the uh, tire shop this week to get new tires and went to pick it up. Somebody had paid my bill. Oh, awesome. God's good. God is good. I got up this morning and I had shoes to put on my feet. Amen. God's good. I got to kiss my boy on the cheek. God's good when a fourteen-year-old lets you do that. Amen. God went to the cross so that I could have eternal life. God is good. good. You ready to sing it now? You ready to remind me God's good? So get your hands up. Get your hands off the side. Get ready here. Ready? God's good. Let's put it together. You are good. We get led by some of the greatest musicians and people in all of the world. Thank you so much. And thank them this morning for doing such a great job and being here and being a part of that. Be seated, if you will. I was reading the transcript of a uh, talk radio show uh, recently, and uh, the host was having a dialogue with one of those that called in. And this was the statement that the host made. He said, why do Christians think they had anything special to do with the founding of this country? Anybody who reads history books knows that Christianity was no more involved in America's founding than any other religion. Unfortunately, and I believe inaccurately, that this seems to be the prevailing current of thought that's present in our country today. 
But I want you to know that uh, the truth of the matter is that our nation, America, was and is based on the Judeo-Christian principles that we find outlined for us in Scripture. And through history, our country has not been ashamed to let people know exactly that. For instance, in 1838, the New York legislature, of all people, they declared this is a Christian nation. Ninety-nine hundredths, if not a larger proportion of our whole population, believe in the general doctrines of the Christian religion. In 1892, the chief justice of our Supreme Court, he declared that in this court, talking about the Supreme Court, in this court's opinion, the United States is a Christian nation. Woodrow Wilson, our nation's 28th president, in his famous address entitled The Bible in Progress, made this statement. America was born a Christian nation. America was born to exemplify that devotion to the elements of righteousness which are derived from the revelations of Holy Scripture. Monday, Memorial Day. The day that we'll be remembering those that have sacrificially shed their blood and given their life so that we have the privilege to pursue life liberty. That we have those inalienable rights that are given to us. And I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt, as did our founding fathers, the only reason that we have those is because of what Psalm 33, 12, 12 tells us, which is blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. So Christian, let me ask you this morning. What role should you play in society? If indeed what I've shared with you this morning, should that mean that in society, although the society in which we live today doesn't understand and doesn't believe and doesn't embrace the truth of what I've just shared with you, should you be involved in the affairs of society or should we kind of sequester ourselves and pull ourselves back to where we only are involved with those other believers that look like us, talk like us, are like us, and never worry about what's going on in the society around us? I'm going to pause right here and say I'm excited about our upcoming series that begins next Sunday morning. We're going to be talking about the not. It doesn't matter whether you are married or going to be married or, or have been married and never are going to get married again. Whatever your situation is, there are things in this study we're going to look biblically that it's good for all of us to understand. But don't get ahead of me today. We're going to close out this series on our identity crisis. And what I have to share with you today, it's kind of the culmination of everything that we've discussed up, and, up until this point. And it's my prayer that we'll also get something out of this morning. In this series, we've been looking at what it means to be a Christian. Specifically, what does it mean to be a member of Oak Ridge Baptist Church? Because we want to know what we believe, why we believe it. And we also want to know how to share that with others. That's what our theme is for this year, right? What's our theme? Who? Who's going to be unashamed? Me. I'm going to be unashamed. I'm going to know what I believe, why I believe it, and how that I can share it with others. Because it's not my mama and daddy's religion. It's not my church's religion. It's not some denomination. It's my belief. It's my understanding. And this whole theme is coming out of our theme passage or our focal passage for this year, which is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Somebody share that with us this morning. Who's got it? You got it? Good job, Brandy.
Take a breath. It's okay. We all hyperventilate at this moment. Good. Always being ready. Do not fear their intimidation. Did we back up to there? Oh, yes, we did. Yep. Go ahead. Start right there. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Always being ready. And keep a good conscience. Excellent job, Miss Brandy. Excellent job. Now, what this leaves us with, if indeed that's what we're called to be, unashamed, how does that impact our role in society? What it, what it, when it comes to social order, when it comes to social responsibility, as one that is to live this fully devoted fellowship of Jesus Christ, as our mission statement says here at Oak Ridge Baptist Church, when it comes to social order, what is our responsibility and what should be our actions. Listen to what Article 15 of our Baptist Faith and Message says when it comes to the Christian and social order. And then let's look at some scriptures to see if this indeed truth, because we don't follow the Baptist Faith and Message. We follow scripture and we make sure that then the things that we understand denominationally are in line with that. Here's what it says. It says, all Christians are under obligation to seek to make the will of Christ supreme in our own lives and in human society. Means and methods used for the improvement of society and the establishment of righteousness among men can be truly and permanently helpful only. Only when they are rooted in the regeneration of the individual by the saving grace of God in Jesus Christ. In the spirit of Christ, Christians should oppose racism, every form of greed, selfishness, and vice, and all forms of sexual immorality. We should work to provide for the orphaned, the needy, the abused, the aged, the helpless, and the sick. We should speak on behalf of the unborn and contend for the sanctity of all human life from conception to natural death. Every Christian should seek to bring industry, government, and society as a whole under the sway of the principles of righteousness, truth, and brotherly love. In order to promote these ends, Christians should be ready to work with all men of goodwill in any good cause, always being careful to act in the spirit of love without compromising their loyalty to Christ and his truth. What is it that this article, Article 15 of our Baptist faith and message, what is it that it's trying to get us to understand? Very simply put is this, yes. Yes, Christian, you are to be involved in the affairs of our society. You are to be about the social order, and there is a reason for that, and the reason for that is found in Christ's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. So take your Bibles this morning, if you will, and turn to Matthew chapter 5. If you remember a few weeks ago, I had the privilege to share with you about the king and his kingdom, and we used... Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 that says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things are going to be added to you. And in in the preparation of sharing that message with you, I told you a little bit about the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6 and verse 7 constitutes what we call the Sermon on the Mount. 
Jesus' first public discord. It's his opportunity to introduce into the world that there is this kingdom. It's called the kingdom of heaven. It's called the kingdom of God. And those that are a part of that kingdom, they will act like it. They will, they will vote like it. They will love like it. They will, they will marry like it. They will raise their children like it. There'll be something that's prevalent in them as a result of being in the kingdom of God that will be tangible and will show in each and everything that they do. And so this kingdom of God at this moment, it's, it's, it's dynamic rather than spatial. It's spiritual at this moment rather than physical. It lives inside of each and every person that has a relationship with Jesus Christ. It composes what it means to be a follower of Christ. And in the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus does for us is he, he describes the characteristics or the mark of what a true Christian should be like and would act like and would do. We don't do these things in order to be saved, but as a result of our salvation, as a result of entering into the kingdom of God, there should be some characteristics. There should be some marks that would be present in our life. And so from the Sermon on the Mount this morning, I want us to look at the role and I want us to look at the function of a Christian when it comes to social order, but not what I think it should be or not what you think it should be. Can I really tell you as a Christian, it doesn't matter what you think? It doesn't matter what I think. You know what matters? What Jesus thinks. And his word has been given to us to make sure what I think and what you think are in line with his thinking so that we'll have the characteristics and the mark of the Christian faith. So I want to talk to you about the role and the function of the Christian, and then I want to give you some ways and means that we can put that into practice when we leave here today. So let's begin looking in Matthew chapter 5 at the Christian's role in society. That's what we understand from Article 15 of our Baptist Faith and Message. We should be involved in society. And it comes out of Jesus' teaching here in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13. This is what Jesus says. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under the foot by men. Do me a favor. If you have your Bibles this morning, you have it turned open there to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13. Would you take your finger and put it on you? Just very carefully look right there at the word you. That's a second person plural pronoun. We know that in the Greek manuscripts. We understand when we, when we decline this this, this noun, we understand it's in the second person and it is a plural pronoun, which means everything that comes after this, it's corporately involved. Because of the way that it was in the Greek language, it's saying what is about to be shared, because it is in a second person plural format, everything that's about to be shared is corporately applied to everybody that's part of the kingdom of God. Everybody that is a believer, he's not saying you, Chief Hudson. He's not saying you, Vicky. He's saying y'all. He, he, was, he was Texan. That's what it was right here. He's saying all y'all, everyone that has a relationship with Jesus Christ, what I'm about to share with you, it is applicable. Now, what is the next word that we find after that? You are. Put your finger on there. This is present active indicative verb, and it's placing the emphasis on being rather than doing. Listen to that very carefully. You collectively, all of you are, and Jesus says, I'm putting the emphasis on what you are, not what you do. And here's why. 
What you do will come out of what you are. If you are not a member of the kingdom of God, then you'll try to be religious. And there's some things that you can do for a period of time as long as you experience enough pain. If your marriage gets bad enough, you'll get religious and you'll try to be a better person. If if your life gets tumultuous enough, you'll get religion and you'll do your best to try to change in your being something that will make your life not hurt so much. But you, those of you that are truly part of the kingdom of God, those of you that have truly been regenerated, those of you that have accepted Christ, you are part of the kingdom of God. And as a result of that ness, what flows out of you will show whether or not you truly have that relationship with me. In other words, only a relationship with Jesus Christ changes your heart. And until your heart is changed, your actions will not change. And there's some of you here today and you've been trying to be religious. You've been trying to clean up your act. You've been trying to be a better person because things around you are messed up, but you keep slipping back into doing the same thing over and over again because there's no power in your life yet. You don't have a relationship. There's not been a regeneration. There's been a a changing of your thought about some things, but there's not been a changing of your heart. And that's why your actions aren't what you want them to be. And the reason is, is most oftentimes it's because we come from this, this, this eclectic background of religion in our society today. And we take bits and pieces of all of this and we think that is truth. But when we go back to God's word, we find that it's not truth. You see, very clearly in scripture, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one can go to heaven but through me. Well, if that is a true statement and Jesus said it then either he is the only way to eternal life or he's a liar and there's a bunch of different ways and we don't need to pay attention to Jesus. And if Jesus is telling the truth, then we have to understand that Jesus is God from the very beginning. He didn't start in Bethlehem. He's always been and he always will be. But God chose to become man and he became man by being born of a virgin. Being born of a virgin and taking on human flesh, totally 100% bodily form human being. He walked for 33 and a half years on this earth and he lived a sinless life. And we know he lived a sinless life because when he went to the cross and there on the cross, he offered himself as the supreme sacrifice for your sin and for my sin. The wrath of our sin came upon him. The, the, the totality of the penalty of being forever separated from God was placed upon him. And in that moment, he died for the sins of the world. And the reason that we know that that sacrifice was a sufficient sacrifice to pay for our sins so that we could have eternal life is because the Bible says that he was buried and three days later he rose again. He rose again because God said that is the perfect sacrifice. That is the Lamb of God that can take away the sins of the world. And that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you can be saved. In other words, regeneration can happen inside of you. And as a result of this regeneration, then you have the power to begin to change your marriage, to begin to change your relationship with your children, to begin to change that emptiness that you're feeling inside of you, that you're searching in the possessions and in the wants and the dreams that you have instead of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so for you, what happens today is that you need to be regenerated. 
For others of us that have established that relationship with Christ and we're, we're understanding that we're operating in. And what Jesus is trying to tell us is, is that corporately, all of us, you are what? The salt of the earth. What are we talking about this morning? We're talking about a Christian's role in society. Jesus says, in society, you are the salt of the earth. Scientists tell us that there are over 14,000 uses for salt. Sodium chloride, if you will. If you were to do a, 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 a Google search this morning, please don't do that. I want your eyes right here. Do that when you get home, okay? But when I did a Google search on salt, 39 million different articles came up in some way, form, or fashion that had the word salt listed in them. This morning, I want to cover all 39 million uses of salt so that you can under... No, I'm not going to do that this morning. But I am going to cover five. I want us to look at five functions of salt and remind ourselves as Christians what that means that we are to be doing in our role as Christians in the society in which we live. Number one, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt because none of us love unsalted chips. We know that salt does what? It seasons. It seasons. Salt adds flavor. It enhances what is present. Christians in the world should give life a wonderful flavor. When, when, when our marriage is interacted with someone that has an unsaved marriage, they should sense a flavor in that marriage that is much different. We, we should show others what abundant life is all about. We ought to make Christianity attractive and desirable because the words that we speak and the meditation of our heart, it's always on the things of God. We're always being ready to offer a defense for anyone that asks us to give an account for the hope that is in us. But yet we do it with gentleness and reverence because we are abundantly filled with the presence of God. We should season the world that is around us. Secondly, we know that salt preserves Preserves. It's something that causes things not to rot. Back, back in the olden days, right? We used salt on meat so that it would not rot. It would not, it would not decay so that it could not be useful. Can you imagine the world today if all of the Christians were extracted? If you can't, just begin reading Revelation chapter 5 and read to Revelation chapter 22 and you'll get a pretty good picture of what the world is going to be like when Christians are raptured out of it. Our job is to be present. Our job brings preservation. This world is rotten and it would be even rotten more if it was not for the Christian's presence in society. Salt hills. When our kids were little and even Carson today, they wake up and they go... <coughs> Mom and dad, our throat is a little sore. We've got one of those little ulcers on our tongue. We say, well, quit lying and go get some warm water and some salt, right? What do we do with the salt water? We gargle. Why do we gargle? Because salt brings healing. Our kiddos are going to be headed off to uh, Belize here in a few days. Our, our student mission team is going to be, be heading out. And by the end of those 10, 12 days that they're going to be in Belize, their legs and their arms are going to be totally eat up. There is every kind of bug imaginable in Belize, and they love white skin. And they just attract themselves to our, our boys and girls when they go to Belize. And so we take a, a day and a half at the end of the trip and we take them on a little respite. We take them to one of the keys and we allow them to rest and we allow them to kind of refresh so that when they come back to the airport and they see mom and dad for the first time, they just don't start bawling uncontrollably from all the emotion. 
And one of the things we do is we take them on a snorkeling trip and they jump into the water and almost immediately they go, ow! Why? Because that salt is hitting those open wounds. But then by the end of that day and the next morning, they begin to see healing come into those locations. Why? Because salt has a healing component to it. Jesus says, come unto me, all of you that are weak and heavy laden, those of you that are broken, I can bring healing into your life. And who is the flesh of Jesus that's at the office with them and is at Orwall with them and is at cheerleading camp with them? It's the Christians that are in this society that are to be sharing with them the truth and the words of Jesus Christ because we are the salt, God working through us that brings healing into other people's lives. Do you know salt also irritates? Now, I know what some of y'all are thinking right now is, yeah, I know a lot of Christians that irritate, amen? Yeah, it does. It does irritate, doesn't it? We take, a, we take an open wound and you pour salt into that open wound, it burns, doesn't it? Christian, do you know that's what you're supposed to be? Do you know when you're out in a world, in a world that doesn't live godly, in a world that does things contrary to Scripture, that when you stand up for the things of God, you should bring a little burning into other people's lives? Are we to do that ugly? No, because we go back to our passage of Scripture in 1 Peter chapter 3, and what does it tell us to do? Always make a defense to everyone who's ready or anyone that asks you, give an account for the hope that is in you. But how do we do it? With gentleness and reverence. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 13, and 14. Be on the alert. Stand Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong and let everything you do be done in what? Love. But if there is an open wound, I don't care how gingerly you pour salt into that, it is going to be irritated. And as Christians, we should bring irritation into the world around us with love, with gentleness. But because we are the salt, when things are not how they should be, it will bring irritation. But here's the other thing that salt does. The fifth and final one I'll share with you. Salt makes you thirsty. Can I tell you, when you live a life that's seasoning and when you live a life that's bringing healing and you bring a, a, a life that's showing abundancy in those areas in your life, there comes these moments that people become thirsty for what they see in you. That salt that you're living, that salt that you're spreading, that salt that you're doing on a daily basis. You don't know who's looking at you. You don't know who's watching you. You don't know what they're doing. And all of a sudden they begin to see, I thirst for what that person has. Isn't that what happened with Jesus and the woman of the well that Jake told us about last week? In John chapter 4, Jesus was talking to this woman at the well and, and he's interacting with her. And Jesus says, everyone who drinks of this water, this physical water, they're going to thirst again. And so many of your friends and so many of your family members and so many of your coworkers, they keep drinking from the cup of what the world says is going to satisfy that thirst that's inside of them. And it keeps making them not satisfied. And Jesus says, people are going to keep drinking of this physical water and they're just going to get thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. In other words, if we're in fact the salt of the earth as Christ has called us to be, our lives will create in those around us a thirst for the things of Jesus. So in this passage of scripture, you are the salt of the earth. What Jesus is saying is those of us that are part of the kingdom of God living in this world, Those of us that have been entrusted with the mysteries of truth, because Jesus says, I talk to people in parables because only those that have ears to hear are going to listen. 
Only those that are regenerated are truly going to want what we find in Scripture and to take action on that. These are the vessels through which the Holy Spirit lives and can minister into others. You who are the salt of the earth, you are to live your life in such a way that you season the earth, you season society, and as a result of that, this will preserve it, heal it, irritate it, and create a thirst in it for the things of God. That's the role. That's what we're supposed to be doing in society today. But not only are you the salt of the earth, but Jesus says you're also the light. Look at verse 14. Verse 13, you're the salt of the earth. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. Oftentimes, salt works where we don't see it work. Salt oftentimes is in a prayer that's being offered by a godly mom in the quietness of her, of her closet, her prayer closet, for a child that's gone wayward that no one sees. Oftentimes, the perseverance that, soft, that, that, that salt brings into a life is a conversation that one of our deacons has with a man that he works out with at the gym that finds himself as a state, in, a, in a state where he's realized, I don't have a relationship with Christ. And that deacon invites him to his house for Friday night dinner. And while he's there, opens the Bible and shares with him the good news of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> you don't see that happening. But that's salt at work. But light, on the other hand, is totally different. Light exposes things. Light is very open. Light is very out there, if you will. Light is visible. It does, it does its work where everyone can see. It shatters darkness. It illuminates pathways. It enables all things to be seen as they really are. And in this passage of Scripture, Jesus, Jesus is declaring that if we will allow Him to live in us and to live through us, then we are going to illuminate things for what they really are. We're going to illuminate truth so that untruth can be shown and can be understood. Listen to what He says there again in verse 14. You are, in verse 13 He says, you, all of y'all... As a result of who you are on the inside are to be salt. And now in verse 14, he uses the exact same verbal and noun construction to say, but also you are light. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So now we see those of us that are part of the kingdom. Those of us that have been regenerated. Those of us that truly have a relationship with Christ. There will be a mark. There will be a characteristic in our life. And in this passage of scripture, Jesus says, your role is to be salt and light. But you know what? Salt is of no use if it stays in the salt shaker. That's where some of you are this morning. You're regenerated, but your salt always stays in the shaker, and it's not doing anything good in society. Salt has to be shaken out of the shaker in order to be effective. 
For others of you, you have the light through regeneration, but you've chosen to put a basket on top of it. You've chosen to say, I'm saved. I've got my fire insurance. I'm not going to hell, but I'm just not the person that wants to live that out in front of the world. Oh, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to do my best to live my life in such a way that I have the blessings of God for me, myself, and I, and my family. But I'm not willing to take the risk to take that basket off in my job and with my friends and with my neighbors because that's a lot of work. And that means I have to watch the words that I say. And I have to be careful about the places that I go. And I have to be very, very, very kind of deciphering about whether or not the friends that I have are truly regenerate. And are those the ones that I truly should be spending my time with? And it's not really hard to tell whether you should or not. Because all you have to do is look at their mark and their characteristics. Oh, they're saved. They just never go to church. Oh, they're saved, but every time we try to open the Bible to the gate, they go, oh, no, there's just two things you don't talk about, and that's religion and, and, and politics. And the words that they speak never glorify God. And so we put that bushel over our light. Because after all, it'd be just a little uncomfortable to make a change. And is it any wonder that society is rotting around us? And Christians are just throwing up their hands and saying, well, that's just the way it is. We're closer to the Lord's return than we've ever been before. And Jesus says, no, y'all are the preservers. Y'all are the ones I've lit up. Y'all are the ones I put the light inside of so that you can expel the darkness. Come to these four walls and be equipped and go outside the four walls and make a difference in the society in which you, in which you live. Make it in how you live. Make it in how you love. Make it in how that you give. Make it in the places that you go. You are the sight, salt. You are the light. That is your role of what Jesus is telling us, which leads us to immediately. The second thing I want to share with you this morning is because that is our role. Then that should produce action. What are the actions that Christians should have in society? Well, what do I mean by that? Let me, let me make sure. True belief always includes action. The founding fathers of our country, when they believed that we deserved a republic, they sat in England and said, God grant it. No. They came to this country and they did whatever was necessary in action to produce what God had put on their heart to do. And today we're the benefactors of such action. You see, truth belief always includes action. I love the quote that I, I walked through our 11th and 12th grade uh, girls Sunday school class recently. And this was the quote that I found written on the whiteboard in that classroom. It said, having convictions then can be defined as being so thoroughly convinced that Christ and his word are both objectively true and relationally meaningful that you act on your beliefs regardless of the consequences. I thank God for those teachers that are showing our 11th and 12th grade girls exactly what I'm trying to share with you this morning. True belief always includes action. 
Our Baptist faith and message, it highlights several actions that we should be about. If we're truly going to be the salt and the light into our society, there is some action we should take. Number one, it talks about racism. If you know anything about the Southern Baptist Convention, if you know anything about our background, you know that the Southern Baptist Convention came into existence over the issue of slavery. And our convention, our founding fathers, excuse me, of our conviction, they were on the wrong side of that story. And they were wrong for that. We have openly admitted our wrongness. We have repented of our sin. We have called out to a society and said, our founding fathers were on the wrong side of that. They did not rightly interpret scripture. They they did not come to things like Revelation chapter five and verse nine, where it says they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe, every tongue, every people and every nation. You know what that means? As Christians, we are to accept every person. Every person of every color, every person of every gender, every person that God has created and welcome them into the family of God because there's not slave, there's not free, there's not woman, there's not man, there's not bond, there's not free. Any of those things matter. It matters that we're all created one in Christ and that should be a social action that we make sure that's happening at all times in the family of our home and in the family of our church. Number two, greed, selfishness, and vice. The materialistic spirit of our age seeks to justify materialism today. But scripture strongly disagrees with that. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21, excuse me, 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul wrote, But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. The love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You see, greed promotes poverty and pain. Greed, greed says the things that I have I want The things I don't have, I want. And it does not matter if those that are around me are suffering and do not have. I just want more because that's what proves my worth in this world. For some, you have the gift of giving. That's one of your spiritual gifts. And God can continue to pour into your life more and more because you are that water hose that he can use to pour those blessings out into others. For others, when we look at our bank statements and we look at our credit card statements and we look at whether or not we're able to give into the ministry and the life of the church, we've realized that we've bought into the materialistic culture of our day. And as a result of that, we see the pain of trying to serve two masters. And in this society, we need to show a different way of living life. Thirdly, sexual immorality. If there was ever a day in which sexual immorality is rampant in the history of our country, it's today. 80% of Americans say that today, 80% of Americans say that adultery is wrong. But according to a recent study by Focus on the Family, 33% of men and 25% of women have have, uh, participated in extramarital affairs. We look at adultery and we say it's wrong, but boy, we look at homosexuality and we say that is doubly wrong. Can I tell you today that there's nothing different between adultery and homosexuality? They are both an abomination in God's eyes. There's no difference in the two. We We don't grade them accordingly. 
Yes, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Leviticus chapter 18 and Romans chapter 1 says that God does not in any way, shape, form condone homosexuality. But he also says in other scriptures that if we look at another person and we lust for that person, then we've committed adultery just as well. Paul says the way, as we've been our study in 1 Thessalonians, said the way that you sanctify yourself is that you, you abstain from, you run away from, you don't allow any sexual immorality to be present in your life. But it's not something that we want to talk about. We want to just dwell on the, on the homosexual side of things. And that is wrong. And, and we shouldn't do. But I want you to know that Jesus went to the cross. And he died for those that are affected by homosexuality. Just like he died for those that are addicted to pornography today. Sexual immorality of any way, shape, form, or fashion is an abomination to God. And it is something that we need to change in our life. If we expect for it to change in society's life as well. Helping people in need. This is another thing. This is another action that we can take as Christians. We have this responsibility to reach out to those that aren't as blessed as much as we are. Nowhere in Scripture is it any truer than Matthew chapter 25. Let me read that for you. It says, For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked, you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous, those that are part of the kingdom of God, those that have been regenerated, they will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger, invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, truly, I say to you, To the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. We have to be very careful with this understanding of helping people in need because there's two extremes. One extreme is what we find in a lot of our mainline uh, Protestant denominations all about the social gospel. We need to build orphanages and we need to build water wells and we need, we, we, need to, we need to clothe those that don't have clothing and we need to build homes for those that do not have no home. And it's all about doing, 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 but they never share the good news of Jesus Christ to bring regeneration and eternal life into a person's heart. The flip side of this is probably the one that we're most guilty of as evangelical Baptists is that we always share the good news of Jesus Christ. We always share the Great Commission. We always say we've got to take the word of God to everybody else, but yet they're hurting and we never do anything to meet their physical needs. Yet General Booth at the consummation of the Salvation Army says, if you want to share the gospel with somebody that's hungry, you better wrap it in a sandwich. See, we can't be on these extremes. We've got to find this middle ground in the middle of this of meeting people's needs physically and spiritually so that we're truly being the salt and light into the world that we've called to, been called to be. Another function of a Christian in the world today when it comes to social order is in the area of sanctity of life. As Christians, we hold the propositional truth that a human life is sacred from the moment of conception until the moment of natural death. We oppose abortion, euthanasia, and any form of assisted suicide. 
God is the giver of life, and as such, we have no right to interact with his divine plan for a person's life and to take it at any moment using any mechanism or using anything whatsoever. And that includes messing with an unborn embryo in attempt to try to bring healing into someone else's life. We believe in the sanctity of life. We believe in God's order. We believe in the things Why? Because we remember our citizenship is in heaven and we're called to live in such a way. Because here in just a few minutes in in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, this is how you're to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. How is his will going to be done on earth? When Christians that are part of the kingdom, you are the salt and the light. So according to Jesus in these verses this morning that we've been looking at, we have a responsibility to stand, what, stand up for what we believe, even in the midst of opposition from a society in which we live. Is that going to be easy? Absolutely not. Will it be popular? Absolutely not. Jesus says, hey, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they're going to mess with the leader of this movement, they're going to mess with his Followers. So what are the ways and means that knowing we're going to ex- uh, expect opposition, knowing that's just going to be a matter of fact, because if we stand for truth and we stand for righteousness and if we choose to be salt and light in this world, these things are coming. We ought to at least take action. We know it's going to happen whether well, whatever happens. So what are some things that we can do to put into practice what we've been talking about this morning? What are the ways that you can do something so that you can be the salt and the light the way that Christ has called you to be? Number one, I'm going to give you three action verbs. I'm just going to give you the verb, and hopefully this will give you something to remember. Three action verbs that show us the way to put into action what we've talked about. Number one, you need to speak. Number one, you need to speak. We're to be vocal. We're to speak out in the culture of the day. I am to speak out from this pulpit the absolute 100% truth of God's word. You are to speak at the water cooler at your office. You are to speak on your social media accounts. You are to speak in your circles of influence the same thing that I'm speaking from this pulpit. You are not equipped to just be a listener of the word. You are being equipped to speak the word in word and deed. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 18 says, where there is no vision... Oftentimes we see that and we read that verse as an area of leadership where the pastor doesn't cast vision, where the pastor doesn't show the church where to go. Then there is what? Then people perish is what the King James Version says. This is one of the reasons why I believe in the ASV because what the true translation says is where there is no vision, where you don't understand that you are the salt and the light, when you don't understand you've been put in this world to live for the kingdom that you're a part of in heaven, then this world is going to live unrestrained. And unrestrained means that they are going to be practicing and doing things that are contrary to what God's word has to say about those things. This is why Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, preach the word. Preach the word in season and out of season. 
Preach the word when society agrees with you in 1892, when New York legislature was agreeing with you, and when the Supreme Justice, uh, the, the, the justice of the Supreme Court was calling out for that. Preach it in season, but also preach it out of season. In 2018, when most of the people in the world in which you're going to run into, they believe that without a shadow of a doubt that what we believe is not right. Doesn't matter. Preach it in season and out of season. Be the salt, be the light. Because if we don't, we're not going to preserve. We're not going to season. We're not going to do anything that we've been called to do. And as a result, this world is going to slip further and further away from the truth of God's word. Three action verbs that will help you put into practice what we're talking about this morning is number one, speak. Number two is vote. That kind of sounds weird, doesn't it? Vote. We go to the we, we go to the we, we go to the television and we listen after an election and we hear things like, Well, people voted with their pockets books this year. Well, well the, the charisma of the char- of the of the candidate that really swayed the vote this year. But as Christians, our vote has more to do with eternity than it does with economy. And it has more to do with character than it has to do with charisma. And it has more to do with truth than it has to do with party lines. Every time we step into the voting booth, we need to set everything aside and ask this one question. Is this who Jesus would vote for? What is the beliefs? What is the platform? What are the things that this candidate stands for? Remembering our citizenship is ultimately in heaven and God himself is on the throne and will judge us according to our works. Make no mistake about it. The world always hopes that Christians will stay home on election day. But in all actuality, they should thank God we never do. Because we are the salt, we are the light, we are the preservers that bring balance into this world. Speak, vote, and number three, live. Live. We can give the greatest defense. I'm excited about our apologetics discipleship class that's going to be happening in, 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 starting in August. I'm excited about where that's going, but we can give the greatest defense for our belief in Christians as Christians. We can go to the ballot ballot box and we can vote for the most spiritual and the most godly candidate that we possibly can. But if you don't live your faith in front of those that you come in contact with on a daily basis, you won't have the impact that God's calling you to have. How we live tells the tale. How we treat others, how we conduct our business, how we spend our time, how we spend our money. All of these things are clearly and visibly demonstrations of whether or not we have religion that we try to change ourselves or whether we have regeneration and as a result of that, it changes who we are. So here in a few moments, we're going to be dismissed and we're going to walk out these exit doors and our ushers are going to be here and we're going to take our tithes and our offerings. If you're visiting with us, I hope you stop by one of our welcome center. There's one right here in the cafe and there's one right outside that door right there at Kids World. I hope you give us a chance to introduce ourselves and let you know more about our church family.
when we walk out that door, we're either going to walk out as hearers of the word or doers of the word. And so I'm going to invite the, the, the praise team out and, and we're, going to, we're going to sing a song of worship together. We are the light of the world. We are a city on a hill. We are the light of the world and we've got to, we got to, we got to let the light shine. And as we're singing those words, I'm going to ask you to be open to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you this morning. What he says, I have no idea. What he wants to reveal and speak to you or has done at this point, I have no idea. But you do. And if he says there's something that you want to come or need to come pray about, you come pray about it. If there's something you need to come visit with me about, come visit. If you're one of those that, that's a little uncomfortable in front of people, in a few moments when we're dismissed, there'll be somebody over here that has a sign that says, how may I help you? Go right there to them and visit. But I'm asking you this morning, as we're leaving this place, Will you make a commitment to not just be a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word? I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and look at the screen. And I'm going to ask you to read out loud with me our focal text this morning. And that's going to remind us exactly what that doing looks like. So stand to your feet and I want us to read this out loud together. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven.